Well, today is the uh, third Sunday of Advent, and I've mentioned before that each of the Advent Sundays have a theme to them, and the theme for the third Sunday of Advent is Rejoice. And the, the verse that's attached to this by most of the liturgical churches out there is Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, which says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And uh, we're not really a liturgical church, if you're not quite sure what the difference is. Liturgical churches tend to be very structured from top down, uh, like your Catholic churches, Episcopal churches, Anglican churches tend to all, they're what you consider liturgical. We have some, we have a little bit of sprinkling of liturgy, and uh, during the, uh, at IBCD, responsive reading is kind of a liturgical thing. The bene benediction at the end is kind of a liturgical uh, example. But during Advent, uh, this is one of the more structured times, and I, often, I will follow the liturgical calendar during Advent just because it's a, it's a bit of a spiritual exercise for myself. And so I found it interesting they chose this particular verse because I remember as a young believer, when I was, first became a believer, there was a, a, a little chorus that was based on this, and it was a very happy and upbeat song. And uh, some of you probably remember it if you were of that generation. is like, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, it goes on like that. And uh, so I was surprised when a few years later in, that, uh, in my spiritual walk, actually quite a few years later, as I was reading through the Bible, I realized that this verse was really uh, given to uh, the church in Philippi in the context of a conflict that was going on. And it was a heavy-duty conflict. It was a conflict uh, that wasn't just some vague get along with each other and love each other. It was a conflict which named names and also had very specific things that should be done around it. And so let's read it. The context is out of Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 7. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And this is a church which had been very supportive of the Apostle Paul. He really appreciated this church. It wasn't like some of the other churches he wrote letters to, which oftentimes he had to uh, tell them they needed to get their act together, the Corinthian church, for example. But there's this area that, that, that they're struggling. He says this, I plead with Udia and I plead with Schenectady to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends understanding. All understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul not only pleads for, he doesn't just plead for UDNs connected to get along, but he also calls the whole church to get behind them and to help them through this time of difficulty. I've mentioned it before, but I find it interesting that even in the early church, where you would think that that generation that is so close to Christ, people that knew Christ, had walked with him, you would think the early church would be the time of the most harmony. 
But you actually see in it that there's a lot of disunity. There's a lot of big issues that they have to work through. Uh, before we did the book of, before Advent, we were going through Galatians, and we'll get back into Galatians. And many of you can recall, hopefully, from just a few weeks ago, that Galatians is dealing a lot of, with conflict going on, particularly around the idea of how a non-Jewish believer uh, can come to Christ without first going through the rituals of becoming Jewish. And so they didn't necessarily have an easy go in that early church. And here's another example where these two uh, women who are very significant in the church are having a conflict. And because these two are so significant, Paul calls them people who contended at his side for the gospel. Because they are so prominent within the church, the disagreement, whatever it is it's about, we don't know what it's about, is causing a big impact on the church. And so why would, why would he then think, why would the Apostle Paul think that being commanded to rejoice is going to change anything? And is he, is he saying to them, you guys need to put a happy face on yourselves. And looking out here this morning, you guys need to put a happy face on there. There's some early morning faces out here. <laughs> but you know, sometimes there's this idea out there that kind of says, well, if you put on a happy face on the outside, then your heart will eventually follow and you'll, be, you'll, you'll feel happy. And there might be something to that. There is something a little bit to, you know, uh, you're doing something like that. But I think for the most part, we know that if we try and do that, especially within the context of conflict, if we try and just act like there's nothing wrong, it doesn't mean that everything goes away. It just means we've kind of covered things up, and then pretty soon that is going to fester, that's going to grow, and that's going to create even deeper problems just later on down the road. And I know because I am the king of covering up conflict. I hate conflict. I will do everything I can to avoid conflict. And I know that's not a healthy thing, but that's, that is a thing that I have to deal with. I don't enjoy conflict. I don't think it... Well, there are some people that do enjoy conflict. Most people don't enjoy it, but I really... I find it disappointing. I think it's, it's more than I just I don't like it. I find it disappointing, especially within the church. And so I just don't want to deal with it. <laughs> and uh, I've learned over the years that that's not very healthy. And so the Apostle Paul, he doesn't just tell them to be happy, but he says, he tells them that there's a context to being able to resolve this. And the context is the presence of Christ. So after telling them to rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say rejoice, then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And when he says the Lord is near, he's not saying Jesus is going to be coming back soon, so everything's going to be okay. He's saying this, that the Lord is near because his Holy Spirit is with us. And it's clear, you see, throughout church history, having the Holy Spirit with us in the church does not mean we all have the same heart and mind when it comes to issues. I wish it were that way. I wish the Holy Spirit gave us consensus. But it doesn't. And maybe the reason why, I know, speculating here, maybe the reason why it doesn't give us consensus is because we're a church body. And as different parts of the body, if we all agreed that this is how everything should be all the time in every way, then we would be like a body that is just one great big eye or just one set of hands. So the Holy Spirit isn't going to give us consensus that we think the same way in everything, but it can give us unity. It can give us unity to love one another, to forgive one another, and to walk with each other in trust. 
And that's really where the Apostle Paul is going with this conflict taking place in the church of Philippi. He wants them not necessarily to be in this place of everything has to be the same heart and mind, but he wants them to be in this place where they have a unity that is found within the Holy Spirit because the Lord is near. And so he tells them, he says, don't be anxious about anything because the Lord is near. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We have this opportunity, regardless of whether or not we're in agreement on everything, we can all, with the same Holy Spirit, present our requests to God. And then the promise is that the peace of God at this point, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard you against that bitterness. It will guard you against the thing that, well, if you don't agree with me, there must be something wrong with you, because that tends to be where our minds and our hearts go. It will bring us into a place of appreciating one another, even if we don't necessarily agree with one another. And so I thought it would be interesting to look at this prayer. What, what would be included in a prayer which is born from this place of conflict. What would be included in a prayer that will allow us? Because he says we are to bring everything by prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving to God. So what, what would be in a prayer that would allow us to have verse 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. It transcends the understanding of consensus. It transcends the understanding of, of uh, you know, this is how the way things need to be. It goes beyond that and allows us to have unity in Christ and focus on those things which are important. So what would be included in a prayer which is born from conflict, which is rocking the church, and that's what's taking place in the church in Philippi. Fortunately, right now at IBCD, we can say we don't have this going on. But we have had this going on. We've had this in the past. Every church has things like this going on. So how can we deal with this? And especially considering the fact that these are leaders who are in this conflict. You know, it's one thing when there's people in the church that aren't in leadership that are in conflict. That's just kind of as, a, as, a, as an ache that is kind of a low-level ache. But if you have leadership in conflict, it's like mom and dad having fights in front of the kids. It rocks the whole family right down to the foundation. And so that's why the Apostle Paul wants to deal with this. Because he says these are women that contended at his side for the cause of the gospel. And he also mentions a guy named Clement. He says, along with Clement. And we have letters from Clement. That when I say we, church history, there are letters from Clement. Clement becomes himself a leader in the church. And he writes a couple letters to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth never got their act together. And we have First, first and Second Corinthians in the Bible. Uh, then you, we read the letters of Clement. They had the same problems all the way through. Clement tried to reach out and help them. It wasn't happening. But this fight going on between Utica and Schenectady, this is rocking the church. So what could they pray that they would allow there to be rejoicing in that prayer? And one thing that would bring rejoicing into that prayer or that would become what would result in rejoicing is forgiveness. There's a rejoicing that can be found in forgiveness. See, in the nearness of Christ, one of the things that we can never forget because of his nearness is that in a very real way, God came near to our situation. He entered into our humanity. This is what the incarnation is all about. This is what we're celebrating in Advent, the incarnation of Christ. And when we say incarnation, that's like this churchy word, this Christian word 
That just means that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's not, that, it's not the creation of the Son, but it is the Word of God becoming flesh. Jesus of Nazareth is born. Who he is by character and nature is eternal because his very spirit is the same spirit as the Spirit of God. But he walks among us, and in coming into our our situation, he, God submits himself to his own creation. He submits himself into the stream of time. He submits himself to the vulnerabilities of what it means to be a human being. He submits himself to what it means to be tempted. He submits himself to what it means to suffer. He submits himself to the simple things like being hungry and being thirsty. He submits himself to the possibility of pain and death. He submits himself into our situation so that the very word of God becoming flesh can also become for us. He takes our sin and becomes our righteousness. He exchanges that sin for his righteousness. And when there's a hurt in relationship for there to be hope and healing to take place, for rejoicing to take place, there has to be an understanding of forgiveness that is very that comes from the Lord being near, especially in the church context. We can't you know, outside the church, people often will try to forgive, but you have these little sayings like, I'll forgive, but I never forget, which then you kind of wonder, is that really forgiveness? But in the church, we're not supposed to be following the world's patterns of forgiveness. We're supposed to be following Christ's pattern of forgiveness. And Christ's pattern of forgiveness was complete, and it was also, it didn't bear with it a remaining grudge. It was completely given for our sake. And the thing that stands in the way of that kind of forgiveness within the church body is the same thing that stands in the way of salvation for a lot of people, and that's their pride. Pride stands in the way of giving forgiveness, and pride stands in the way of receiving forgiveness. The main reason why a lot of people don't follow Christ, and I've heard this over and over again, is they'll say, I didn't ask God to die for me. I didn't ask for Christ to have to forgive me. I don't feel like I need forgiveness. One of the, I don't want to get political, but it was kind of interesting that uh, when the elections in the U.S. were taking place uh, in 2016, there was a radio program that was on a Christian radio that had one of the candidates, and I'll let you try and figure out which one this was, uh, and they asked him about his Christianity. And they asked him on the radio, and you can go online and you can find this, when was the time that you realized you needed the forgiveness of Christ? And this candidate responded, I've never, I've never felt like I had to ask for forgiveness for anything. And the guy on the radio began to freak out a little bit because he's a, this is Christian radio. He's like, yeah. And he's like, well, well, what I mean is like, when did, you, when did you feel like you needed to, you know, receive the forgiveness for God for your sin? He's like, I've never asked for forgiveness. Don't think I need forgiveness. I've never done anything that requires forgiveness. And the guy on the radio is like, uh-oh. <laughs> this isn't going well at all. <laughs> but the idea that pride stands in the way of forgiveness is something we see all, all around the world with peoples, cultures. It doesn't really matter that humanity within us that says, I don't need anyone to say that I need to be forgiven. And I certainly don't need someone to die for my sins. I'll stand on my own. 
And when it comes to conflict, it's very much the same thing. People within the church, I've, I've had to mediate conflict more often than I'd like to say. And I've been involved in conflict as well. People hate to admit they're wrong. People hate to admit they need forgiveness. They hate it. And they will fight it and fight it and fight it. And I can tell you, it's one of the main causes of uh, stresses in, in marriage relationships. It's one of the main causes of stresses in church relationships. We talk about forgiveness. We sing about forgiveness. We say, praise the Lord for his forgiveness. But when it comes to really living it out, we have a hard time with it. And even though Jesus, he attaches some things to forgiveness, which should make you sit up straight. Like, uh, you know, that our sins, as much as we extend forgiveness, is the same measure by which we will be forgiven. That should make everybody go, whoop. You know? Do you want to be forgiven? You better extend it. The Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That should make you sit up. But we struggle with that. We struggle with it. But if we can come to that place of extending forgiveness, then what I have found, when it's really a given both ways, when there's an acknowledgement on both sides, because really this is what people want. People they, they get in their heads about, you know, well, I'm not going to admit that I did anything wrong because then that's going to be used against me and all that. Most of the time what people want, all they want, is they just want the person that hurt them to understand that they hurt them. Not too many people I've run into in the church and, and in marriage situations and various situations, not too many people are really out to get anything more than do you, just tell me you understand where you hurt me. And yet, people were very resistant to giving that. But when that really does happen, and thank God I can say it has happened, I've seen it happen, it's like people can breathe again. There's a, there's a weight that's lifted off their shoulders because it is hard to come and worship. It is hard to rejoice when you know your heart is hard against someone or someone is hard against you. This is why we say during communion, you know, that one of the things of communion is, you know, you should write relationships. And when I've, I've been in situations where I was not in a right relationship with someone, and I would give communion, but I wouldn't take communion. And because I'm a brother, you know, I'm not just doing something for a show. So I'll give communion sometimes, but I, there, were, there were times when I wouldn't take it because I was not in a right relationship with someone. And, you know, people come, why, why are you doing that? Blah, 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 blah. It's like, because. I'm not in this right relationship. And when you're in that right relationship or you've done everything you can to restore it, it's like a weight comes off your shoulders and there it can be rejoicing once again. But in order to have that true forgiveness, there also has to be trust. And trust is also hard. And this is the other rejoicing that is found in a prayer which is trying to deal with conflict is that there has to be trust. And the initial place it goes very often is a trust in the Lord because when relationship is broken, it's hard to trust that other person. It's hard to walk in that place of uncertainty where the ground seems shaky. Is this, is this a person that I'm going to put my emotional well-being, am I going to invest that in them again? Usually it's an emotional thing. Am I going to invest my emotional well-being in this person again? It is hard. Again, one of the big contexts that I often work with is marriages. And when that trust has been broken, it is 
very difficult to come back and put that trust with, into that person that hurt you. One of the big breakdowns in marriages very often is a, is a breakdown of communication. And like a woman will feel like the husband's no longer communicating with them and she withdraws and he withdraws. And in this withdrawing, there becomes a break of trust. And it's very difficult to rebuild that. And if there's been some other kind of, something that damages a relationship, like a betrayal of some sort, either in a marriage or within friends, it's very difficult to just to put your trust back into that person. That's just human nature, right? That's, that's not saying anything, you know, controversial. So where do we put our trust? We have to put it somewhere. We have to start somewhere. Where do you put it if you're going to rebuild something, especially in the context of Christians? Where do you put the trust? Well, you put it in Christ. You put it in the one place that you know that it is safe. And you may not be able to trust the human being sitting across from you in a room, but you can trust God. And you can trust that God is going to love you, walk with you, and help you through this difficult time. But part of that trust is understanding that just because you put your trust in Christ doesn't mean that Christ is going to say, and therefore you are right in everything that you thought about yourself in this situation. That's not what trust is. Trust is saying, I'm going to put it in the hands of Christ, and as the Holy Spirit works in me, I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to show me what I need to do, how I need to respond to something. And very often the Holy Spirit, just to give you a heads up, will tell you, yeah, you were wrong. You were wrong in this reaction, or you were wrong in the how, how you approached this, or you were selfish in this way. And if you can trust what the Holy Spirit is saying, then you can act on that, knowing that it's not coming from a point of view that maybe is from a person that you're not quite sure if they have your best interests in mind, but it's coming from God. And if the Spirit is telling you this, then trust the Spirit and walk in it. And if you will walk in that place of repentance that comes from trusting the Holy Spirit, guiding you in a place of repentance, then there can be rejoicing. Because once again, that trust, once it gets reestablished with, with God and he works with you and you trust that he's working with the other person, if there's an honesty and an openness on both sides, very often then that repaired trust between those two people, those human beings that were in conflict, can form a bond that is stronger than it was before. And I again can speak from experience on this. It can form a bond which is even stronger than before because you kind of learn to appreciate the fact you hurt this person and they forgave you. They learned to trust you and that person hurt you, but you forgave them and learned to trust them. And it just makes that whole awkward dance of being human beings together a little bit more, well, it's, it's, it's less awkward because you know, okay, this isn't a perfect person and they're still going to be there for me. I'm not a perfect person. I'm going to still be there for them. And that bond then becomes much, much stronger. And there can be rejoicing. And then, of course, these things all lead to thankfulness. You know, he says by prayer, uh, he says, present your request to God with prayer and petition and to thankfulness. And that thankfulness, that really comes out of this whole idea that once you've gone through this valley, Man, on the other side of it, it feels great. 
And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, of being in a deep conflict with someone and then coming through on the other side. And there is true forgiveness. There is true reestablished trust. There is a true moving forward. It feels great. It really does. It feels like you've grown, they've grown, and there's a profound sense of thankfulness in knowing that who carried you through this was the Holy Spirit of God. And that is a key to this having peace. We have to be a thankful people if we're going to have peace. Because the truth is, there's so many things that God has done for us that we don't even acknowledge. But if we can get back to the place of just focusing on the places where we're hurt, focusing on the places where we feel we've been wrong, and start focusing on the things that allow us to be thankful, it'll change our hearts and our minds. I I'm, I'm always remember this story, Jesus heals 10 lepers and only one comes back to thank him. And Jesus says, well, where are the others? And I've always been made aware through, of that, that so many things happen in my life that I just take for granted. I don't focus on it. Maybe because in a way I think I sort of expect it. But I don't. I, don't, I, don't, I shouldn't expect. I don't really have any right to say I deserve all the goodness in my life has been given to me by God. And he rewards obedience and all that stuff, sure. But he's made all these things possible. That thankful heart is really the difference between being able to worship with rejoicing and worship with just a sense of duty. And when we can worship with rejoicing, when we can worship with thankfulness, then we have peace. The peace of God which transcends all understanding. That transcends our pride. That transcends our sense of having to be justified and to justify others. It transcends this. Sometimes it doesn't seem to make sense. How can, you, how can you trust that person after what you went through with that person? Well, because we didn't stop at the place of offense. We moved through the place of offense, and we managed to get to the place of forgiveness and trust and thankfulness. And because we didn't stop at offense, but moved through it, man, we have peace, real peace, a peace that comes from not just a cessation of violence, or gossip, or whatever's going on between the two of you, or the, or Schenectady and Utica in this place, but a peace that comes from a deep understanding and appreciation of the other person. And I know how rare it is to get to that place, but I also know how possible it is. It is possible. It's rare, but it's possible. And this is really the point of the incarnation, the Lord coming near. The Lord came near. He gave us this context of forgiveness where he becomes the one through which forgiveness comes. He becomes the context of trust. We have to completely trust him. Faith and trust are very, very similar things. We put our trust that what Jesus Christ did for us, what the scripture tells us, what Christ did for us, that he died on a cross that 2,000 years ago, it still affects us today. This is a place of trust. This is a place of faith. The Bible can call it trust. It calls it faith. calls it believe. It calls it all kinds of different words to try and get our minds around the idea of what it means to be in this place with God where there is true peace between us and with God. And before the incarnation, humanity and God, though God loved humanity, humanity was in a place of, sometimes they said they loved God, a lot of times they didn't really express that love by, by following his heart. God also did things to frustrate humanity, to make it clear to human beings that they couldn't on their own goodness get to the place of righteousness. He put the law in place to show us 
you guys can't do this on your own. We can't even follow the Ten Commandments, let alone the 600 other commandments that Judaism then eventually built around the law of Moses. We can't even follow the Ten Commandments. How can we follow the 600 commandments? But in showing us this, it became clear to us we needed something different. We needed grace. And so God gave us that grace. And we look at Jesus Christ and we say, was that an easy grace? No. He had to suffer for it. And even when we trust God and we walk with him, sometimes we'll have to suffer through things. We'll persevere. But if our eyes are on him, we'll not only get through to the other side if it's a conflict, we'll not only get through to the other side, we'll come out on the other side stronger. And so I want to encourage us as we go through this time of year, this Advent season, to know. I understand this is a time, for, for a lot of people, this is just a very simply simple, enjoyable time of celebration. Frankly, that's what it's always been for me. I've never suffered through the holidays, but I know some people do. I've never, you know, had to, you know, deal with things that are, you know, I've never seen Christmas as a dark time. My father-in-law just died a couple weeks ago, but I don't associate that with the season at all. It doesn't cross, you know, it's not really a, a, a hardship that's attached to the fact it was near Christmas. And I don't think Cindy does either. But I know some people do. I know for some people this is a hard time for lots of different reasons. And I want to encourage you to know that Christ comes near. And he is near. And if you're in a place of difficulty, don't just sit there and, and curl up into a little spiritual ball and allow yourself to be in a place of misery. Reach out to Christ. Reach out to God. Because he came near for a reason. And one of the reasons is so that you would have peace. A peace of knowing that at least on this level of your life, the level of your relationship with God, there can be trust, there can be forgiveness, and there can be strength. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for everything that you've done for us. And Lord, we thank you for the rejoicing that we can have sometimes because we've gone through periods of difficulty. And Lord, I think about when the angels came and they, they came to the shepherds and said, rejoice. That, you know, they came into a time, they came to a, a group of people that really didn't have much. They're on the bottom of society. They came into a time when the country was occupied by the Romans. They came into, they came and proclaimed a rejoicing in the Lord in the darkness. And yet your, dark, your light overcame, overcame that darkness. And we, Father, we pray that for everybody here, if they're in a place where they are feeling down or dark or whatever's going on in them, Lord, that you will overcome that. And by your presence, they'll be lifted up into the light of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.